I read this story this week about a little boy, a five-year-old boy named Tommy who is uh, excited to go to Palm Sunday uh, on Sunday morning. And you know kids can, again, some of the stories we get about kids are great. And they shed some interesting light on, on how we view ourselves and sometimes we're not much different than those children. Tommy wanted to go to Palm Sunday but was sick. So his dad decided to stay uh, or take the kids and, and uh, his siblings and go to church and, and mom stayed back with him. And he was sick and he was really bummed he couldn't go. But as uh, his dad and siblings came back, they all had these palm branches. And you know, Palm Sunday and, you know, Jesus' triumphal entry. And so, you know, Tommy ran to the door and said, what happened? Why the palm branches? And they said, oh, when Jesus came, he, that they were holding the palm branches up and laying them down. And he's like, dang it, he shouts. He goes, the day I'm sick, Jesus shows up at church. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to find some of these things. I want you to know that, these stories. <laughs> I just appreciate the, the laughter. They're, they're good. I actually look for those because I think they, sh they answer, I think sometimes having to laugh at some of these things that we think about. Tommy felt like he missed Jesus. I wonder how many times we feel like as we gather here that you missed Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you feel like you haven't seen him in a long time. You know, a lot of people come through community church. A lot of people. I think our database is thousands. I mean, honestly, it's, I think it's close to 10,000 people have like filled out a card and been here. And, and there's probably something to say about, you know, there's people trying to check out church once or twice. But I wonder how many people miss Jesus. As we told you, we're in a faith series, and I want to tell you and remind you again why we're in this faith series. There are really three things that go on in kind of our discussion about how we'll choose a series. One, what's going on in the world? In the world today, the use of the word religion, faith, Christian is so blended. Can you even tell the difference? In the middle of a political race where people are using faith terms, how do we really know? We don't. There's a watered-down usage of this, and we don't quite understand. And so in our world, there really isn't a clarity on what is faith. In our church, we have, I've had many conversations with people talking about faith and feeling a sense uh, of obligation, or even saying, I have faith because I believe that God created the earth, or I believe that God sent His Son, Jesus. But as we have talked about in James, belief that God did certain things is an intellectual idea about religion. It's not faith at all. James will talk about this. And so from a worldly perspective, there's a struggle and there's not an understanding. And then there needs to be clarity, I think, sometimes in our church. But I, I say thirdly and probably most importantly, and sometimes my faith is just not fresh. It loses its sense of, of authentic, authenticity. It loses a sense of realness in my life. And I don't know if you're like me, but being a pastor, it seems like, well, wouldn't that... It's really easy. You study the Bible all the time. That's all you do, right? And, and you're always praying. And you're, Friends, do you realize that familiarity with religion 
You go Sunday to Saturday and you do the same things over and over and again, become familiar. And when we become familiar with faith, it becomes religion. And I, I need a freshening up of my faith. I needed to study some of these texts. And for me, it was just a, a, a realization of what is faith again? What does it mean to have faith? And so we decided to tackle a bunch of the New Testament teachings where Jesus either commends great faith or talks about little faith, just mentions faith. And so we've been tackling those. But remember, we, we hit Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 as, as our anchor verse. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for. How confident are you this morning? What's the confidence level uh, in your faith journey like this morning? I know some in this service, in our 10, 10 o'clock service, is probably the greatest spiritual diversity. We find that our 10 o'clock service is, is a lot of what we call investigator kind of Christians and checking it out and maybe trying to return to church. And we're so glad you're here this morning. And probably the question you have to hear is, how confident is your faith? And maybe this morning you have a form of religion that you've, you've held on to, but it's not really faith at all. How confident is How fresh is it? So we want, wanted this series really to, to stir us and freshen our faith, but to call us into a living response, a faith that actually has actions attached to it. Not because salvation is because of works, but we know that a faith, a true faith in Christ, it changes you. It forces you into a transformational state that you can't, you can't help but change. True faith does this. So you wonder as churches are filled with thousands and thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people on Sunday mornings, how fresh is their faith? What's, what's really happening in the hearts and minds of people who say, Christian, I'm a Christ follower? And so we want to dive in this morning in Matthew 15, and we're going we're gonna to look at a text here. And the reason I want to look at it, uh, for two reasons. One, I've never taught this text, and it is, uh, has some disturbing phrases in it. Not like rated R disturbing, but uh, disturbing like, man, I can't believe Jesus said that. Uh, second, though, uh, the reason I wanted to teach it is because this is one of those t- texts where Jesus commends great faith. This woman has great faith. This woman is from Phoenicia. If you look at the map of Israel, the dotted line is some of the region of the promised land, the nation of Israel. Um, that sea of, that little body of water in the middle there, a sea of Chenereth. That's actually the Sea of Galilee was another term that they used to call it. But if you see under the left there, we're tired and uh, Acho or Acho, I don't know how you pronounce that, but it's Phoenicia. That would be a very pagan place. That's outside of the boundaries of Israel. And so always when Jesus does things that are outside of the norm, you want to know why. And so Jesus will travel uh, outside of the nation of Israel in this, in this one instant to meet this woman. Now, we don't know that he's trying to meet this woman, but this is the text that we have. Um, so when I was, uh, Trish and I did a wedding uh, once, I was called to do a wedding in Bora Bora, uh, we could never afford to go there ourselves, but our friend was getting married and said, can I, would you, would you go through the, the d- tough task of being flown to Bora Bora for a week with your wife? Yes, I will do that. Um, beautiful place, but when we landed, 
this is one of hundreds of dogs we would see everywhere. I mean, dogs just mangy, scavenging everywhere. And they're, it's kind of the dogs, if you've seen that, if you've gone to kind of a third world place, you'd go like, I don't, will that dog bite me? It's probably rabid. I don't want to touch it. It's just disgusting and dirty. And so this dog uh, is one of them. And it, it was just one of the most ugly dogs I've ever seen. And thought, oh my gosh, I have to just capture this. This, right now in the nation of Israel, there are what's called dogs scavenging all of Israel and basically have no home. Now this is going to be important because in this text, Jesus is going to refer to the Phoenician area, the Canaanites. The Canaanites as dogs. That's In context, you need to know that. Now, there are two ways to use the term dog back then. One would be a dog that had no home, a scavenger, a mutt, a mange, or a dog that was a pet. Now, when we were in Bora Bora, it was hard to tell what, what were pets and what were, had no, no home, right? And so I would imagine Israel is the same. I don't know if they had, you know, collars and like electronic chips and all the stuff that they put in dogs back you know, back then they didn't have that. So to know the difference uh, would have been difficult. And so this gives us some context of, of, of the text. A couple other things on backdrop. First, Tyre and Sidon are two cities in Phoenicia. Jesus is going there. It's a coastal city, merchant city. Lots of uh, travelers would come through that place. Mark chapter 7 uh, is another gospel that tells this story and uses the term Syrophoenician woman. Just basically means Syrian um, from the land of Phoenicia, Syrophoenician uh, woman. And that was largely where the Canaanites were. Now, interesting, I wanted to make another note, and I didn't say it in the first service, so this is extra for you. They, those guys didn't get it, probably because they forgot. Um, is Matthew is right? We're going to look at Matthew's text. And if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, our story is all about Jesus. They don't contradict, but they're a different lens how they saw Jesus. Matthew sees Jesus very uniquely. Why? Because he was a tax collector. Remember, tax collectors were the outcasts. They were the, the traitors of their own kind. So he was Jewish, selected by the Romans, that he could cheat his own people out for more money. So Matthew writes this. Why is that critical? Matthew writes it from one who has been an outcast. It's very, very interesting to hear this a story from his eyes. Uh, another one is that Mark is going to also give us a, a perspective that Jesus was, we think, trying to rest. Because it says that he's doing all these miracles and he goes outside the region of Israel into Phoenicia. And he was trying to keep his identity secret. Again, so we kind of get perspective that Jesus is trying to maybe uh, take a load off and, and not do uh, a lot of the work that he just seems to be flooded with people wanting to be healed and rescued. Uh, she's a Canaanite woman. That means uh, this draws all the way back to Old Testament. When the Israelites first entered Israel, God told them, destroy these pagan nations. One of those was the Canaanites. And God said, if you don't fully destroy them, they're going to come back and haunt you for the rest of your life. And sure enough, Canaanites still exist. Um, in fact, Solomon actually made pacts and intermarried with the Canaanites. One of his sins, according to God in, in the scriptures. But it's a Gentile region known as a pagan uh, group, and that would be a little bit different than Gentile, but very pagan, anti-Yahweh, God, and viewed 
culturally as dogs. And I know in our culture today, I mean, in our culture of, of using terms that are racial, prejudice, uh, you know, exclusive, they segregate people, we would never want to do that. This clearly was saying Canaanites are dogs. They're the dogs. And there was many other groups around Israel that they would view that way. Last but not least, they, would have, uh, they were pagan. So what did they worship? They worshiped Astarte, goddess of war and sexual love. Uh, it would have been inappropriate for this morning to put the statue up. Um, I have at times done that when they're like rated PG. This would have been a rated R. It just tells you the lostness and the paganness of this group. They, uh, if you look up on uh, really any of the studies around the Canaanites in this region, uh, it could go from sacrifice to temple worship that was just horrific. So it gives you a perspective of where this woman's from. Now, Matthew 15 picks us up uh, again, where Jesus is left, obviously leaving the place he was just doing some healing. Jesus withdrew to a region of Tyre and Sidon, Phoenicia. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out crying out, came out to him crying out. How many of you have been somewhere, a situation, whether it's at home or a city or a neighborhood, and heard someone scream? You hear someone scream, it just creates panic. It says in the text here that she came crying out. Now we get the perspective, we know that her daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. This is an important note. I mean, when our kids or our family are hurting, it puts us in a place of desperation. I imagine the tension that she's feeling is great. We can also assume, too, that this Canaanite woman most likely, most likely, had pursued all the different pagan levels of worship to cure her daughter from this possession. So she probably had resourced so much. But it says here that she came, came to him, Jesus, crying out, and says a phrase that's very unique, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. She's shouting that. Jesus was going there to be secret, right? Now the secret's out. Oh my gosh, Lord, Son of David. Interesting couple, couple observations. One, how does she know anything about the Son of David? Now they would have had an interaction, the Canaanites did, with David. But even knowing about the, that there was a waiting for a Messiah is very unique. And so this pagan woman doesn't have the formal training of following around Jesus like the disciples did. She didn't have the luxury of going to, to, to synagogues and reading the Old Testament scriptures or hearing you know, the, the prophets' um, writings being read. All of this, she's in a very anti-God land, and yet she cries out this phrase. Why also is it unique? When do you hear the disciples ever saying this? When do you hear most of Israel saying this? Friends, what's very unique about this story is that she says it as a pagan when Jesus is waiting most of his ministry for his own people to recognize who he is. Isn't it funny how religion, we can become so familiar with what we do and we keep waiting for Jesus that we become so familiar with our faith and what we're doing that we can miss him. And it took the freshness of someone that recognized their lostness. Where she just cries out right away, Lord, Son of David. Great faith causes three things to happen. Jesus is going to say you have great faith. I want to, I'll just identify three things that great faith will, will do to you. First, it helps you see. 
Great faith opens up your eyes. Remember the song we just sang in the beginning this morning. Bobby led us and said, bring me awake. I love that line, bring me awake. We, we wear these shirts. We put them on people who get baptized. It says, I'm awake. Why? Because there's this picture in Scripture that when you come to faith, scales drop from your eyes. You're, you're giving clarity. Clarity on what? On who God is and who His Son is. And you don't have a problem naming Him. And you don't have to go to Bible school for that. And you don't have to be religious to do that. You don't have to travel around trying to figure out all the spiritual answers. It is something that great faith does to you. It inserts into your life and you recognize who He is. You see this if you read the miracles of Jesus. The people who most identify and call out and see who Jesus is are the broken. Man, we love singing that song. Come as you are. I think God loves when we're in a place of emptiness and brokenness. Why? Because it gives us the most clarity, doesn't it? I've said it here before. We don't grow in the great times in our life. We grow in the times where we're broken. We grow when we go through adversity. We get clarity most often about our faith when we're in that place. She gets clarity. She sees. Great faith causes us to see. It says in verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Have you ever had like a conversation with somebody or you asked a very intense question or there's an intense moment and then someone doesn't answer at all? Talk about awkwardness. That sometimes could be worse. And, and it's silent. The Lord, Son of David, is silent to her. Not only that, the disciples came to him and say, hey, do we need to get rid of her? Can we just send her out? Because she keeps shouting. She's interrupting, you know, whatever you're going to do, Jesus. I find that intriguing that she's, she's not answered. And now she can just, could you just imagine the tension? She's cried out and disciples are huddling over. Should we get rid of her? Should we just, you know? In verse 24, it says that Jesus finally answers, and we don't know how long that pause was. It says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Okay, I want to paint this picture because I want you to feel the awkwardness of this moment. He's in a pagan land. She's crying out, my, my daughter's demon-possessed, Lord, son of David. And, and the disciples are probably guarding, you know, they don't know who she is. He doesn't answer her or respond at all. That has to create more tension. And now, not only that, the disciples are deciding, hey, should we get rid of her? That's creating more. And now Jesus' response, I'm sorry. I didn't come to help you out. I wasn't, I wasn't sent here to help the Canaanites. Not at all. I mean, that had to feel that moment. And the disciples had to wonder why they were even in this land, right? It says in verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. This has to be, again, one of those pictures that we would kind of paint in, if we could see in heaven's video files, that this woman now kneeling before Jesus, not taking no for an answer, not taking the silence, not taking the disciples saying, get rid of her, not even Jesus' statement that he didn't come for her. She's saying, Lord, help me. And she's crying out. How did you show up this morning? 
I mean, how did we show up? I wonder if part of our faith not being fresh, not being alive, not being active, because we can grow so familiar with faith that we're not desperate. In fact, we probably, none of us in this room, probably don't feel a great need for God. We may want God, but really, if we were to say, what prayer requests do we have? What prayer requests of desperation? What do we need Jesus to do this morning? How many of us would be kneeling and crying out, Lord, help me? It's why, really, if you read church history, the greatest movements of God are in the greatest places of desperation. This woman does not take no for an answer. So great faith helps us see. Great faith also causes us to be tireless. When their great faith gives clarity about who Jesus is, great faith begins to then create in us an ability to weather anything. It, it allows us to weather tough times financially, tough times in health, tough times relationally, no matter what persecution. Read Fox Book of Martyrs. Read any of the Jesus Freaks, the DC Talk Book about martyrs. Go to the, the site uh, about martyrs who have died for their faith, and you're going to get this sense that they were tirelessly devoted because they saw who Jesus was, and no adversity was going to discourage them. This woman, this pagan woman, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not taking your silence. Disciples, you're not going to kick me out of this one. No, no, I'm not even taking the answer about you only came here for the Israelites. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask again, save me. Boy, she's tireless. I can tell you many times where I've grown tired in my faith. Have you? Where you're just, oh. and, we, and we just recognize, don't you recognize how impatient we are in our faith? How we, we so want God to fix it tomorrow. Or maybe, like me, today. Today. Today would be great, God. This woman not only sees, but she has a tireless nature to her. And it's going to push us into this next part that becomes the shocking part of what Jesus is going to say. Jesus says in verse 26, he replies, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Whoa. I think what drew me to this text, honestly is Jesus just said that to her. You ever had been a conversation and someone just said something, right? An inappropriate comment, something like that. They go, ooh, they just said that. I wonder in that moment, is that, oh. Now it was culturally known in Israel that they would call the pagan cultures around them as dogs. Scavenging, homeless, no owner, no love, waiting for just the scraps. What's so powerful, though, is Jesus does not use that term for dog. It says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus uses a different one, and that is the term of pet dog. Now, you may think, well, that doesn't seem like a big step up, huge step up. We have a dog, Right? We have a dog, you've heard of him, Thor, God of Thunder, about this big though. Um, and when he has gas problems, he is God of Thunder. Um, but I, I, there's these moments where I, I watch him 
It's just amazing about dogs how they always love you, right? Even if you ignore them, they're always there to greet you at the door. But Thor will always, when Trisha starts to go to the kitchen, he's in this deadpan stare. And he'll be facing a cupboard just waiting for a crumb. And it's like, it's, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I'm, so, I'm shocked at his eyesight because he could see the smallest of anything. And there he is looking the floor. Jesus says this statement to this woman. Isn't it not right to take the children's bread, children of Israel, and toss it to the pagan Canaanite pet dogs? Hmm. Look at this tirelessness of this woman. Yes, it is, Lord. I mean, what a great aunt. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is right. It is right that you, you allow me to take whatever it is off that table. You, you allow me the crumbs. It really affirms the song, Come As You Are. It's saying, I've heard of you, Jesus. And you're the one that invites anyone to the table. And so she says, yes, it is, Lord. She said, even these pet dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. You've referred to me as someone who has a place. This woman gets Jesus maybe more than his own disciples. She she gets a perspective so much greater than just working through religion. Again, can we just talk about this woman? She doesn't have formal religious training. Some of you think arrive here thinking, that you have to do all these things for God, like I prayed in the prayer, like he's an ATM machine. If I do these things for God, if I punch in the right code, then he gives me back stuff and things and blessings. That's not really faith. She gets him. She not only sees, she's not only tireless, but great faith humbles you. Think about, she's okay that Jesus just called me a pet dog. Because in in the scope of what's going on, when I recognize and see who Jesus is, even the crumb from the table is a great gift. I think what happens in church culture, it happens here in Green Bay, it happens in every church culture, is the more familiar we go in our journey with our faith. And we, the more we just treat God like a bunch of traditions that we do over and over and over, thinking that that gives God like glory and credit, like he's going to be really happy with us because we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. I think we lose perspective. We lose sight. We get tired. And I think we grow proud. Do you realize in Scripture that one of the the most uh, talked about sins that God hates is pride. You see, see, pride calls me in to begin to compare about where I'm at in, in the pecking order of the kingdom. It, it, it helps me kind of feel good about myself. And don't we all do that on some level? We, we see the way people operate in the world and we look at the political climate right now, right? And saying, which one's better or worse, and we're becoming judge and jury for all these things, and it's really easy to become spiritually proud. This woman, she sees God, she sees Jesus for who he is. She's tireless in that pursuing him, because she knows and believes that he says, come as you are. All who are weary, come. 
and she's humbled before him. I think sometimes we have to ask God, God, would you perform the miracle? I don't know what you answered this morning. What miracle would you want him to see? You know what I want him to do this morning? It's help me see who he is more clearly. Help me be captured by the view of who God is. Because once I get to see who God is, I see what I really am. You ever had, like, I have white t-shirts, you know, and over time, if you keep washing those t-shirts over time, and then you go buy a new white t-shirt, aren't you appalled? Like, whoa, that's not really white. I think we can hang out as church culture over time and think we're really good and lose sight of who he is and what we really are. This woman humbles herself. Andrew Murray says it this way, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Remember I've told you, you can't come to Christ with arms crossed. You, can't, you don't come to Jesus filled up on a pecking order of like, I deserve this or I'm entitled. You come to Jesus broken. You come to Jesus weary. You come to Jesus empty because it's your last resort. You come to Jesus like a pet dog waiting for a crumb to fall at the table. This is not a guilt and shame message. I'm not trying to add and make you feel any of us like dogs. But the picture here, the the picture of, of distance between who God is and who we are is amazing. It says in verse 28, then Jesus says to her, and he doesn't just say it, he shouts it. Woman, you have great faith. I mean, when has he really said this to disciples? I don't know if he ever says it to disciples. Those are the ones who are supposed to be the religious. Those are the ones who are following him around. Here's a pagan woman. Who, who has not had any of the formal religious training, and she's commended for her faith. Your request is granted. Your daughter was healed, and her daughter was healed at that moment. What miracle would you like to see Jesus perform this morning? I already told you, I, I, I pray that God would help me see. I pray that God would help you see. In two different ways. Maybe this morning you don't have faith and you've treated God like an interaction at an ATM machine, more of like a religious transaction. My prayer is that you find faith, that you ask God for faith, not religion. But the second I would pray, if you know God and your faith has become familiar and not fresh, that you ask God to restore in you. David prays this prayer. He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation in the Psalms. He says, renew that spirit in me that forgot. We we read over and over in the Old Testament, the Israelites literally would see the Red Sea parted, manna from heaven, and literally within steps and chapters, they forget. We're not much different, friends. What miracle would we like to see this morning? I think that we see our faith, see Jesus for who he is. In Isaiah chapter 6, there's this story, and this story, I think, leads us into this because it, when I was thinking about 
How do I get clarity on my eyesight? How do I bring me awake, God? How does that happen? And I kept thinking about this story in Isaiah, and it's a story of the prophet Isaiah. He somehow has this, this moment where he's brought into the throne room of heaven. And it says, in the year that, I, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I mean, right there, I saw the Lord. I, I can't imagine that. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe, you know, that, that the train of his robe was filling the whole temple. It had to be amazing. Verse 2, above him were seraphim, those are angels, each had six wings. I mean, it's not just angels, right? Because angels we could handle and not be super mesmerized, but it's angels with six wings. Two of the wings covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. Their postures of humility, and then with two, they were flying. Any of you feel a sense of wonder and awe this morning? We got to see God and that train of his robe and the angels were flying around. If that's not enough, it says, then they were calling to one another. They were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It says in Revelation that this is happening 24-7 right now. Heaven and the seraphim, the angels, the hosts of heaven worship God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah is so struck with this picture that he sees. Here's his response. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook the temple and was filled with smoke. And this is his response. Woe to me. I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Can I paraphrase? O God of heaven, I'm a dog. I scavenge this earth for crumbs of anything and they don't fill. I long with my friends and family to find anything from your table. I think we forget that. I think we become so familiar with a Jesus that fits our daily schedule, a God that fits religion and we punch a card and we've forgotten the awe because you start to see God that way, friends, it changes your posture. When you see God that way, it changes the way you handle your time. When you see God that way, it changes any adversity that could come with your, your way. Losing jobs, losing relationships, losing your health. Because you see the glory of God. And you go, that's worth waiting for a crumb. Woe to me, my eyes have seen the King. Do you see this morning? Or have you, have you just become so familiar with just doing church or doing your faith throughout the week? Just Bible reading? Have you lost the sense of majesty of a God of the universe that says you're not a pet dog any longer? Because you know what he does? The beauty of this story he invites you to the table. You're no longer a dog. He goes, oh, no, no, no. You don't have to wait for crumbs. 
I'm going to, you are now a son or a daughter and you sit with me at the table. Friends, that's faith. Faith filled with tradition that's just ritualistic does not impress God. God is impressed with a pagan woman that all she can say is, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, help me. Where are you at this morning? Bobby's going to lead us in a song that says, come to the table. And we get a chance to go to communion, and some of you grew up in, a, in, in different church cultures where that has to be served to you in Scripture. It says, clearly in the New Testament, it says that, that we're to do it often. And it's because in Scripture that we, there's no longer a priest needed to intercede for us, that we all are invited into the presence of God. We're all invited to the table. And we're to do this often to be reminded about who He is. We're to do this often so that we recognize the majesty of the one who sent his son to die on a cross, to be broken, and to be torn apart and bleed so that we no longer are called dogs, but we're children of God. Friends, that's an invitation. That's faith. And this morning, I'm just going to call you to, I don't know where you're at this morning, but if you don't have a faith, maybe it's for the first time that you kneel at a cross or kneel at your chair Say, God, give me faith. I have some belief that you do things, but I need faith. And some of you have a faith that just has lost its freshness. And maybe this morning, you for the first time can ask God to, to renew that spirit. The posture of kneeling, the posture of crying out to God, and is really his invitation that says, come to the table. So as you go this morning, will you do that? Think differently about this. If you're in line, friends, this morning for communion, just to punch the card, don't do it. Scripture warns against doing that. Go with the freshness that your faith, that God said he has given you not just crumbs, but a table of blessings. He invites you to the table. Father in heaven, we're, we're grateful for you this morning. We, we feel the privilege of coming to communion, to be reminded that we are no longer to be lost and scavenging this earth, but God, to be called sons and daughters of yours, not because of anything we've done or deserve, but just because you invite us. God, would you freshen the faith? Will you give us eyes to see you this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.